Okay, we're going to uh, continue on looking at uh, God's Word today. We, we, you know, we've been kind of focused on different things that the early church was focused on from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So let me just read that to you again, and then I'll, I'm going to point out to you uh, what, what's missing in our churches today, the forgotten reality. So, in Acts chapter 2, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had a need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, when we started a few weeks ago looking at this, we talked about that, you know, when we look at church today and what people think about church um, you know, there really is a forgotten reality. So here's the first forgotten reality in the issue that I was bringing, and that is many believers are confused about what church is. And that is, that's true of pastors, and that's true of people in the church. I just saw a report today, uh, somebody wrote an article about how declining churches go through a lot of pastors quickly. They'll go through a number of pastors real quick. And and I'll and I know why that happens. It's in our history here as well at our church. What happens is is that if it declines, it must be the preacher's fault. Bring in a new preacher. He'll get it built back up again. And if that doesn't happen quickly or it doesn't bring the right type of people you get rid of him until you find somebody that builds up your church. And that happens a lot. That's happened here. You can look at the history of this church and see that as well through the years. When you when you talk about we've been in existence almost 80 years now. I mean, and what happened here is no different than what happens in a lot of churches. And the reason why is that people have a wrong concept of what church is very wrong concept of what church is and what the church should be focused on. In that instance, they see it as the more people, the better. Other instances, it might be what kind of service do they have? Or where's their focus at? Is it on evangelism? Or is it on Bible study? Or is it on political issues? Or on social issues? And it goes on and on and on. And the problem is, is they're all wrong. To be very honest with you, they're all wrong because that's not what the Bible talks about as far as where the church needs to be focused. And what we see from the early church, from the very beginning of the early church, where their focus was, was really in seven things. And so I'm going to go through those with you here. We've gone through them before. I'll just make a few comments. Number one, God's word. Their focus was on the apostles' teaching. They did focus on God's word, but not, can I be honest with you, not to make eggheads egg out of people. Do you understand? Because sometimes you can get into the study of the word, just simply be able to answer Bible trivia. 
you know, or to, to say that you know a lot. That's not the purpose of knowing God's word. Knowing God's word is for you to know for your life and to reach out to other people, not to say that you have a lot of knowledge about things, okay? So God's word, fellowship, that's spending time together. So that means not just in a worship service, but in doing things together, okay? Intimate fellowship, getting to know each other. So, for instance, um, you guys are in the band, Okay, what I appreciate about the guys in our band is is there seems to be a relationship that's developing between the members of the band with each other. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? There is a level of they enjoy being together. They enjoy playing music together. In fact, when I came in here, you guys are talking about when you're going to jam. Did you know what I'm saying? I mean, obviously, you wouldn't do that if you didn't like each other. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so that's really what church is about. Church should be about fellowship. Worship, there in, in, in Acts, it's talking about the breaking of bread. So the worship of God, Christ, at the Lord's table, remembering what he did to, to us. And so that worship is a response to God for the salvation he has. It's not talking about the music. It's not talking about the style of service. It's talking about the heart response in appreciation of the salvation that God has given us, period, okay? Prayer speaks for itself. They prayed together. They prayed to God. They were led by prayer. They prayed for each other. Prayer. Prayer was an emphasis in the church, which is why we're doing this on Thursday nights, no matter how many people show up. God's presence. We talked about that. God's presence was very evident in their midst, that, you know, people showed up and they, they were in awe of what God was doing among the people. They had a sense of God's presence in their church. Tonight, we're going to focus on this one, and that's the issue of sacrifice. Now, to me, it's interesting. Acts says they had all things in common, and when they saw a need, they dealt with it. I can remember years ago, it's been 30 years ago, I've been a believer now, 33 so somewhere around 31, 32 years ago, I can remember preachers preaching from Acts in the Independent Baptist Church, and they would go through this passage, and all they would say about this section of verses is, it's not talking about communism. You know, because communism, the concept of communism is all things belong to the party, to the state, so therefore all things belong to the people. And uh, so they would say, this is not talking about communism. But then they wouldn't say what it is talking about. They would move on to the next passage. So, But that's what we're going to focus on tonight. We're going to talk about what does it mean in Acts. I'll read it to you again. In Acts chapter 2, when it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 44, in verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had a need. So what does that mean? Well, I put down the word sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice for others. It's about being there for others. Okay, They had an others focus, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And then finally, and this is what we're going to look at next week, is they had an impact. Because they were focused in these other areas, in these other six areas in their church, people outside of the church saw what was going on 
And they were impacted for the gospel. And so people were coming to Christ through that. Okay? So we're going to focus on this forgotten reality of sacrifice. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. So I've got two more points to make under the forgotten reality. The problem is church has become a spectator event. What do you mean by that, George? Well, it's become the other. If I don't like the show here, I'll go somewhere else. Did you know what I'm saying? If I don't like the music here, I'll go somewhere else. If I don't like the preaching here, I'll go somewhere else. It's become a spectator event. So like, for instance, when I go to a concert at Bryce Jordan Center over in State College, I'm going there to get something from the music. I'm paying to get something from the music. And, you know, and I like classic rock music, so I would be going there to get something, have some memories of music, and enjoy the music. And that's being a spectator. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't have any part in what's going on there in that concert except showing up, filling a seat, paying a ticket price, buying some beverages and some merchandise. Okay? And so many people have that concept of church. Church is just simply a service to attend. And sometimes you only see them twice a year. Easter and Christmas. Christmas Eve, specifically. And so to a lot of people, church has become a spectator event. And so many think in terms of what the church should do for them. I hate to say that. I'm trying to communicate something different to our church, that when you come here, it's not about what we can do for you. It's about what you can do for others. I'm not even talking about for the church, because I can remember years ago in the Independent Baptist Church, as long as you were serving at an office and giving, that they were happy with that. You were doing for the church, for the organization. You were doing for the program. But no, no, that's not the biblical perspective. We're actually going to see it here in a moment. The biblical perspective is actually something so much more when we talk about doing for the church, okay? So when we talk about doing for the church. So many think in terms of, what the church should do for them. So that brings me to where I'm going to talk about. So when we look at what's happening in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, this is not an anomaly. This is not just a one-time event. You're actually going to see several times throughout Acts where this happens. Acts chapter uh, 3 and 4. You'll see it in the teaching of the apostle. And so that's where I want to go. I want to go to Galatians chapter 6 tonight. So if you're using a pew Bible, that's page 617. And I'm going to look at 10 verses, and we're going to talk about a biblical focus as far as being sacrificed. What does that mean? As far as being others-focused. And you're actually going to be surprised, because a lot of these we think is the responsibility of the pastor, but it's not, to be honest with you. It's actually our responsibility of being there for each other because being there for each other is not just simply mean, oh, well, hey, Mike, I hear you got a problem with your car. You need some funds. Here, I'll give you some money towards that. That's not, that's not what it's all talking about as far as being others-oriented, others-focused. So let's look together. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Here's what it says. 
Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Let me, let him who is taught with the word share in good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. All right, so I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring out four statements here from these passages. So I'm going to just kind of go through each one. And I'm going to talk about a biblical focus of being there for others. And the first one is actually going to surprise you because usually when we think in terms of being there for others, we think in terms of giving somebody something. But that's not what he starts off with here. Look at what it says in verse 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, who, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's a biblical focus. If we're going to be others-focused, here's, here's what we're called to. We're called to help each other with the burden of sin. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do you think anybody here that meets at this place that is a part of our church, do you think there's anybody here that doesn't struggle with sin? Do you think there's anybody like that here? Do we have any perfect people who never do anything wrong? Do we? No, no, I don't think so. Everybody struggles with sin. Now, do we know what those issues are? No. No clue. Everybody's struggles are different. Just being honest with you. Everybody struggles with sin in some way. But everybody's struggle is different. Now, we're gathered together. We're a part of this believer, group of believers who are here to encourage each other, stir each other onto good works. As we become aware, as we interact with each other, we sometimes the Holy Spirit will reveal to us, hey, okay, let's say we have a guy here. His name is uh, Bill. Okay, so Bill's right here. As I'm interacting with Bill, the Lord reveals through that interaction over time that Bill's struggling with an issue. So what he's saying here in this passage is in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, you who are spiritual need to reach out to Bill and help him with his issue. Now here's what it says. Notice what it says. I think Galatians 6, 1 is a passage that a lot of people have forgotten over the years. It talks about how to deal with him. It says to deal with him with gentleness and meekness because you could do the same thing. Too many times I've thought about through situations through the years, I've met folks where they have been, quote, 
thrown out of the churches, people wagging fingers at them. Nobody was even concerned about how they were helping them through that situation or helping them with that problem. See, they were only concerned about, quote, disciplining. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The Bible talks about discipline, but the purpose for discipline in the New Testament is restoration. Restoring them back to a right relationship with Jesus. So it's saying here, and then it goes on and says, verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Hey, let's stop for a moment. The sins we struggle with, are they burdens? Would you say the sins that we struggle with, are they burdens? Yes, they are. They zap the strength out of you spiritually. And it's saying that we need to help each other. That's what it means to be there. Be there for each other. Here's the second thing. We see this in verses 3 through 5. So this is talking about an, an attitude in helping each other now. Look at what it says, verse 3. For if anyone thinks of him, thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So stop for a moment. He, he's kind of putting everybody on a, on a level playing field here. He says, if you think you're something when you're actually nothing, he does that several times in the New Testament. He says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you think you're smart when in actuality you're nothing. You're nothing. To the world you're foolish. So if you think you're something, you're nothing. So he's talking about motives here, and then he goes on and says, look with me, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing for in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. He's talking about the reason why we help each other. And so he's going to say, we're called to check our motives for helping others. Because isn't it true that sometimes, oh, I'll help you, but the reason why I'm helping you is not for you, it's for me how I look. Ever, sometimes people have the wrong motives in helping. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they have the wrong motives in helping. And in, in fact, that's why Jesus sometimes says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do things in secret so you're not bringing the glory to yourself because the hypocrite, when he helps, he's doing it so everybody looks and says, oh, isn't that wonderful that he helped them out? Isn't that wonderful? Well, hey, you're going to get your reward. I mean, you have your reward is what Jesus says because your motives are wrong, okay? So if you're going to help others, you got to check your motives. you got to check the reason why you're doing what you're doing. Is it for yourself? Hey, and let me just say this, folks. There's a lot of instances, especially in a church, where people can feel very important by helping and the problem is it's no longer about serving Jesus, it's about serving ourselves. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's no longer about serving Jesus, it's about serving ourselves. And so we, we're called to check the motives for helping other people. So now we move on to verse 7 and 8. We're going to skip over verse 6, but 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but if he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, again, this is talking about our motives. So here's what he's saying. We will be accountable for what we do. So he's saying, if you're doing what you're doing for yourself, you're going to reap the consequences of that later. 
If you're doing what you're doing for yourself, you're going to reap the consequences of that later. But if you're doing it for the Spirit, you'll reap the spiritual con the reward of that later as well. So again, he's talking about our motives and you just being aware, hey, we're accountable for how we act with each other. We're accountable for how we are with each other. Bottom line. So then that brings us to verse 9 and 10. So look, he says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So here's the final point I want you to see about this biblical focus. We are to respond to opportunities we encounter by doing good. All right, so let me just go ahead and say this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to wonder, does God give you opportunities to do good? They're there. The Spirit prompts you. But here's the problem. The problem is, is we'll say, I, I don't have time for that today, Lord. I got too many things on my calendar. Too many. Th I lost a day this week because it was Labor Day, so I've only got four days to get five days worth of work in, and I don't really need have time to give up because I know if I talk to them, it's not going to be five minutes. It's going to be an hour. Isn't that what we do? You know what, Lord? I, I know. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I've got the finances to help them, but I've been saving that money up for some new furniture for the living room. Did you, if the spirit, the opportunities are there, he's saying we're, we're, we're to respond to those opportunities. In fact, James goes one step further and says, to him who knoweth to do good and does it not, it is sin. Huh, interesting, isn't it? To him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. And that's not just talking about whether or not I sin in life. It's talking about ultimately in the response of how I am with other people. So you're going to see that really one of the focuses here at our church needs to be not stepping up to the plate to do for the church. That is the organization. Yes, we do have needs here. We do need help. However, what you're going to see is that when we talk about sacrifice, it's recognizing the needs of others and helping them. And that is not just in doing good financially or in helping others with, with a vehicle problem. It's also helping them with their sin issues. Now, through the years, I'll be honest with you, I've seen some wonderful things here at our church where people stepped up and helped. Okay? Wonderful things. What do you mean? Well, I remember a year, a guy on, who was hard on, he was working hard, but he it just wasn't coming together with his finances. He needed to replace a head gasket in his vehicle. And uh, he couldn't afford to take it to a garage because that was going to be a major thing. At that time, we had a mechanic in our church, and he said, you buy the part, I'll come over and take care of it for you. The guy bought the gasket. He came over and took care of it for him. He did good. I think the ultimate example is what happened with Sue Duckett in our church. Sue, and now we announced to the church, 
she's going to die unless she gets a liver transplant. Within a few weeks, somebody within our own church was the perfect match for her. And she's here how many years later now? Twelve years later, she's still alive. Because somebody said, I'll sacrifice my liver for her. That's amazing. See, that's what we're talking about. That's what church is. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's what church is. That's what the focus of church needs to be. Is being there for each other. And for the right motives, not for look at me, look at me, look at me. It's for the right motives. Okay, so how do we bring this, what we just talked about, down to our prayer time today? So, you know what? We've been praying about our church. We've been saying, God, help us to be a church of the word. Help us to be a church where we enjoy being with each other. Help us to be a church where we worship the Lord in response to his salvation. Help us to be a church where we sense your presence. I think, help us to be a church of prayer, but I think the biggest one next is, God, help us to be a church where we're there for each other period. And we'll help each other, whether we're struggling with an issue of sin or if it's some other kind of issue. Because a lot of times, can I be honest with you, the issue isn't necessarily a physical need. Sometimes it's an emotional need, just knowing that somebody cares. Because we get beat up on during the week. Life is tough. And that's what our focus needs to be as a church. So how do we pray about that? I think the first thing we do is pray, Lord, help us to not be selfish. Because when we talk about the motives of doing it for ourselves, that's selfishness. Lord, help us not to be selfish. And then number two, Lord, help us to see the opportunities. Did you understand what I'm saying? Help us to see the opportunities. Come saying, God, who can I minister to today? He may not show anybody the next time you come together. But you might be surprised. He might show you somebody. Who can you show me that I can minister to? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And I just thank you for this time that we could look into your word and see the focus of the early church and pray about that for our church. And this whole biblical concept of being others-focused, Lord, may that be true in our church would you help us not to be selfish in our in our thoughts and in our focus as a believers who attend here and who are a part of this family? Lord, help us to see the opportunities, and there are opportunities to help, to help others. Help us to be the church that you want us to be in this culture, in this world today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.